Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church. We are a Southern Baptist church dedicated to seeking the glory of God by proclaiming the gospel in all that we do. If you would like more information, please visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org. the Lord in prayer. Father, we sincerely ask that you will come and give us grace now. You tell us in your word that when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Lord, we are, we who are trusting in Christ. Lord, we who have uh, turned to you knowing we are hopeless and helpless without you. And we've run to you, throwing ourselves at your feet for mercy we come and draw near and we, we are asking, oh God, give us grace so that we can draw near to you and know you so that you will show us yourself, show us your truths, feed us from your word. You are the great treasure. You are the one we want. The riches of the earth, they're worthless. We count you as the infinite and eternal treasure. And we ask, oh God, give us more of yourself. Help us to understand. Grow us and transform us. Grow us into the people you want us to be. We long for your kingdom to come and the great reward when we stand before you on the last day. So Lord, we pray that you'll work in this time of study that you'll show us your truths. And Lord, particularly as we have difficult things to think through of, of living uh, obedience to you through trials and difficulty and hardship and suffering, help us, oh God, that we think through these things soberly, that we will not serve ourselves, but serve you. So Father, we pray, give help. Please send your spirit, protect this time, we ask. Please bless our little ones in the next room as they learn your word. I pray that you, you will open their eyes to understand. And Lord, help us here. Help me to do the work of preaching. Do it in a way that's useful. Help all of us to worship as we receive your word, O oh God, that you be pleased. Have mercy. We ask these things through the name of Christ. Amen. I will not risk open war. <laughs> So said Theoden, king of Rohan and Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, you may recall that line, to which Aragorn replied, open war is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. Throughout history, there have been all kinds of groups and even entire nations who have sort of adopted that uh, false mentality of Theoden thinking that if you're just in, uh, uninterested, if you just don't want to fight, that the enemy will just leave you be. But again and again, what these people have come to realize is that when your wives and daughters are being raped, when your house is being burned down, when you are being fired upon, you are at war, whether you wanted it or not. Christian, Christian, you are at war. Most of us would rather it not be this way. Most of us are exhausted by it and would just love to live in days of peace. We long 
for that perfect kingdom to come. But whether you like it or not, you are living in a cursed world where the enemy of God has now gained temporary reign over this earth. You live in a barbaric age, in a cursed and depraved world, and you are at war whether you like it or not. That's not a metaphor, by the way. That's not the preacher, you know, being dramatic to try to get attention. This is spoken all through the scriptures. The battle of the heavens, the kingdom of darkness warring against the kingdom of light and the work that God has done to bring his kingdom to earth with the promise of restoration one day. But if you are in Christ... If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, then what it means is that there is a target on your back and the enemy of this age hates you with a seething disgust that you cannot imagine and you are being fired upon. You are being plotted against. This is always the case so long as we are in this cursed world. But there are times where the intensity of the fight is greater than others. What is at stake is eternity. The church is always under assault, even when it doesn't feel like it. The church is always being plotted against and uh, attacked, even when we live in times that feel really peaceful. But there are times where particular kinds of assaults uh, are waged that are of an even greater uh, degree than normal and the church is called to be resilient. The church is called to stand. The church is called to obey. And there are times where that is harder than others. It is clear we are entering another one of these seasons in history where in this place, the intensity of the battle is increasing. In fact, if somebody tried to argue that point, I think I'd be tempted to ask them what the address of the rock they've been living under is. What color is the sky in your fantasy world? And are there unicorns there? Jesus said that this world is opposed to him. The world hated Jesus and the world hates the people of God, the ways of God, the law of God, the principles of God. And in our day, we are seeing this increasing. And then Christian, we look around we look around and find that there are enemies and traitors even amongst our own ranks. One after another, our favorite leaders are falling. In 1 Peter, it says it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. In our day, God is purifying his church. And one of the ways that he is doing, by, doing that is by exposing the sin of her shepherds, just like he did in the days of Ezekiel. Uh, I mentioned a scandal uh, a couple weeks back, a scandal that's hit the church of high profile preachers uh, who have been caught stealing sermons and plagiarizing and actually hiring a company, as crazy as it sounds, hiring a company to write their sermons for them. That scandal left alone would have been bad enough. It's embarrassing. It has gotten worse as more is being exposed in these last several weeks in a move that sounds like the plot of a good mystery novel. It's turned out that the company 
that has been writing these high-profile preachers' sermons, a company by the name of Docent, has a staff that consists of largely social Marxist. Sermon writing staff consists of, by the, by the way, they were writing sermons for preachers for $3,000 a pop. Uh, figure that up for 50 weeks a year. Writing sermons for preachers and the staff who was doing the sermon writing comprised largely of social Marxists, egalitarians. Okay, that means they uh, reject the Bible's teaching concerning husbands and wives in marriage. Uh, Even those who denied uh, the gospel that we believe and the head of the company, a strong feminist who denies the Bible's teaching concerning uh, God's roles for male and female. I mean, seriously, someone should write a movie script about this. Put it in the dark, grimy horror section. Christian, these are dark days, and it appears it is a prelude to darker ones. These are not days of peace. Listen, they weren't days of peace five years ago, even if your life was really nice and comfortable, and a lot of the insanity we're seeing going on now wasn't happening. These are not days of peace. These are days of conflict. And there is a particular mindset we have to have in times of conflict that is different than the easygoing days of whistling and strolling through life with no cares of peace. That day will come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. But it is not here yet. Your life now in this cursed world is a test. You will stand before the living God and give account for your life. And in this age, we are called to stand and obey. In this hour, there is the need for the watchmen of the church to blow the trumpets. Because the enemy is no longer simply plotting. They are marching against the city walls. Christian, your very own home is now under assault in some very real and physical ways. That's why next week's message is going to be the battle for our children. This week, what I want to do is give a general overview of the call to how we respond. If this is the reality, then there are some things that the word of God has to say about preparation and strengthening that we Christians are to engage in. There is a mindset difference between peacetime and wartime. And what is being done now, the watchmen of the church are sounding the alarm. It is time to strengthen yourselves. It is time to get in the mindset of being ready ready to battle in this warfare of the heavens. So I want to take this morning's uh, time and look at three different parts. Let me firstly talk briefly about the dangers that we face. In 1 Peter 5.8, we're told, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. There's always danger for the Christian in this cursed world, but the danger is not always equally intense. There are times when it is harder to live unto God than others. Days when the world around you is pushing stronger. So you you might think of the effort that it takes to live unto God as swimming against the current of a river. 
the pressures and such uh, uh, of the world and everything, everything pushing and seducing you not to follow Christ. It's like the current of a river. Well, the current is not always equally strong. There are times where the uh, speed of, of the current picks up its pace. Christian, in our day, the speed is picking up. And if we are not strengthened, we will be swept away. Now, what, what, what do I mean by that, swept away? I mean, give up, fall away. No longer uh, take up your cross to follow after Christ. Greater dangers than we here in this land that we have enjoyed peace, greater dangers than we're used to seeing are, at, are now at work. So I want you to understand what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. What I am not saying is, Christian, you are living in times of intense persecution. Isn't it awful? Not at all. <laughs> this is cakewalk compared to what our brothers and sisters around the world have to live with. But what we are saying, what we are saying is that uh, it appears in days to come, the uh, animosity against Christ, his gospel and his church is only going to be increasing unless the Lord intervenes and brings in his work. And he has done it before. We know he is powerful to bring a great repentance to bring a great turning of culture, a great strengthening of his church and awakening once again, unless the Lord intervenes, the trajectory that we are headed to is one of greater animosity towards the church. There is, of course, obvious things like the growing danger of legal opposition to believers in the church. And by the way, these kinds of things are not even being hidden any longer. The church has been sounding this alarm for a long time. As we knew the agenda of certain segments of politicians and such, and we would hear the whispers of things coming out of backroom deals of threats against religious liberty, and the church would sound the alarm, and you know how everybody always responds to that. Oh, you idiot Christians all the time, trying to be dramatic. The world's always against you, okay? Only because Jesus told us that it will be. But you do understand that today, it's not even being hidden any longer. There are large segments of politicians who are publicly and openly speaking of their desire to destroy religious liberty. There is brewing legislation regarding what parents are allowed to say to their children in their own homes. But beyond the obvious legal opposition, there's the danger of growing, you know, social pressure, just that it's hard when everybody around you thinks you're an idiot. When everyone around you is thinking of you as hateful because you hold to biblical principles, as the masses are increasingly unwilling to even tolerate Christian beliefs, ironically, the very beliefs that influenced this nation to have the order and flourishing and opportunities that we have known. You know, there have been times in history that certain societies just went mad, just lost their minds. You have to see we're tiptoeing closer to that edge. Now, for us who know the Bible, you know, we, we see these things clear as day. This is Romans 1. This is Romans 1. What happens? 
When a culture pushes and pushes and pushes against the law of God and the, the gracious restraining work of God, God doesn't have to work hard to, to bring a fall or an undoing or a great humbling or even a destruction. He doesn't have to work hard. He simply, what does Romans 1 say, gives them over to their own idiocy. We are approaching days of just plain bonkers. Up is down, down is up. Boys or girls, transgenderism is mentally stable. Obesity is healthy. Good is bad. Bad is good. Children are environmental hazards. That's a real quote, by the way. Murderers and rapists were released uh, during the pandemic and such. And in places like Canada, while murderers and rapists were released from prisons, pastors were handcuffed and at time drugged through the streets in order to be brought to prison. Understand that before Germany ever hurt the world through Hitler and Nazism, there were Christian leaders who were warning Europe for decades about the growing evil and danger there. Corey Ten Boom's brother Willem would herald out the message of warning. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his own country uh, preached and, and, and called the warning of what was coming and some heeded it and many did not. But Christians, similarly today, warnings are being issued. I am not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. I have not had a vision nor a dream. But with whatever spiritual discernment, God has given those watchmen in the body of Christ who have eyes to see there is the warning that is being heralded of what is coming from miles down the road our way. There is a growing disgust for the law of God, the way of God, and the people of God. We have enjoyed, I mean, let, let's, let's be honest, religiously speaking, a pretty posh life. Thank God for it. The Bible tells us that's the kind of thing we should pray for. We are to pray for our governing leaders for their salvation and also that we would be able to live a peaceful life. We have enjoyed this. That has been a gift of God. But it appears the tides are shifting. And the call is there is need for preparation for your heart, for your thinking, for your spiritual strength and stamina Prepare yourself and your family for what likely lies ahead. So because of this, two of the calls that need to be heralded, there would be many more, but here are two of the big ones that need to be called out is the call to persevere and not give up and to prepare your heart for days of difficulty. So secondly, consider the call to persevere. In the passage that we read just a bit ago in Hebrews 10, if you'll look back to it, uh, uh, notice specifically verse 39 for a moment. He says, for you have need of endurance. As you read through that, we're, we're going to pick out some parts here in a little bit that talk about some of the hardships and persecutions that these early believers endured. And, and what the author here tells them is you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Jump down to verse 39. You know, the Lord has, the Lord said ver, back up in verse 38, okay, um, my righteous one shall live by faith. How do you have life, eternal life? You gain eternal life by faith. But then notice what he also says. And if he shrinks back, 
So the one claiming faith shrinks back, recoils in cowardice, is seduced by sin. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back, verse 39, to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. In Mark 13 and Matthew 24, Jesus preached uh, what we call the Olivet Discourse, a sermon pertaining to uh, the future of believers as Jesus uh, looked into the, the future of his people down through the ages and coming up towards the end of what was to come. And one of the great themes of that discourse is the challenges, the tribulations, the persecutions, the opposition to his people. And in Mark 13, 13, Jesus says, you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. True saving faith is a faith that is given by God and it is a faith that will endure to the end. If you're new to studying the Bible, what scripture says is God says that, uh, God says something that we know the world's always mocking and making fun of, okay? We totally recognize that, okay? The world is always opposed to Jesus. God in the Bible says, you must be saved. That in your sins, you are not okay on your own. There is something that you must receive from Christ. You must receive the forgiveness of sins. He died on the cross, rose from the dead. You must receive the benefits of what he died for. And you will receive those benefits when you turn in your heart. Turn in your heart to trust in him. Not trust yourself that you're good. And also not live as your own Lord. You're turning in your heart to trust in Christ. And the Bible says that when you do that, okay, the Bible calls that salvation because you've been delivered from something. You've been rescued from something. You've been rescued from the wrath that you deserve. True saving faith, the kind of faith that makes you right with God is one that will endure till the end. Uh, you're in Hebrews. Jump back to chapter three, if you will, for a moment. There's all kinds of places in the New Testament we could turn to if we had more time. I'm doing it very quickly. Hebrews three, verse six. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. If you remember that study we did in the conditional if the if is predicated upon endurance, persevering, not giving up, not falling away, not being seduced. If we hold fast. Hold fast our confidence. That is our faith, the confidence of our faith and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Look at verse 14, same chapter. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. To persevere, let's talk about what it is. To persevere is not just to keep living. It is not just to keep breathing. To persevere is to run the race and keep running the race until the Lord takes you home. So run the race. That's a biblical metaphor, a biblical metaphor. It means to live Jesus's call to take up your cross and follow Christ and to keep doing that, to not give up, to not fall away, to keep living obedience, to keep striving, to keep believing, to not fall. Uh, running is hard. 
Following Jesus is hard. That's why that's the metaphor. That's why when Jesus was telling us what it is to, to be a Christian, to live as a Christian, he did not say, okay, uh, take up your recliner, uh, come sit before me and let me teach you. He said, take up your cross. The instrument of torture, brutality, and death. Take up your cross. Caesar says, you follow Christ, I'll kill you. Jesus says, grab it, grab it and walk. Take up your cross and follow after Christ. That, that's, meant to, that's meant to communicate it's hard. If your faith in Jesus is pretty easy, it's a worthless faith, James says. If your faith costs you nothing, the book of James says that's a worthless faith. The one who just succumbs to the spirit of the age has fallen away. Someone who makes a profession of faith, so meaning they say with their lips that they are a Christian or they say that they are saved, but who eventually falls away from the church, has not persevered. Likewise, someone who goes to church their whole life, but their secret life is one of living in unrepentant sin. So that is deliberate and defiant, ongoing rebellion to the law of God. That also is falling away. They might appear very religious, but that is also falling away. Someone who succumbs to whatever the sexiest false gospel of the day is today. Whatever it is that day. The hippest, newest, coolest, whatever thing of the thinking of the world that then always gets adopted by some version of the, some segment of the church. And they preach it and they're saying to the world, hey, look, we're cool too. We believe just what you believe. To fall to false gospels is also to fall away. To persevere is to run the race in life and doctrine and to keep doing it, to make it to the end. So understand, very often, and this is what Jesus said would happen. This is not a shocker. Very often, those who make professions of faith are like bottle rockets. There's this real hard sprint, all out, fired up, hurry, and then lose steam and fall out of the sky. They drift away from Christ. Everyone's left confused. I, I thought they were so serious. They are in the parable of the sower and the soils. They're that seed that fell on the rocky soil. And it, it sprang up a little bit. It looked like something was going to happen, but the roots were shallow. And when the sun rose of hardship and withered those leaves, it died because of its shallow roots. It's not enough to start the race. You must finish. It, many will start, but not nearly as many finish. The Bible says it is those who finish the race who are the true sons and daughters of God. Perseverance is required. Jude one twenty one. keep yourselves in the love of God. And one of the greatest misunderstandings um, of the Christian life, and particularly for Baptists, so this is one that kind of hits us close to home, is in regard to this subject right here. So let me, let me talk for just briefly doctrinally about what we're talking about, and then I'll apply it and why we're talking about it today. Many who believe in what the Bible teaches on the eternal security of salvation, as we do here, okay, can fall into an error on the other side. We're very often uh, giving this call of warning. 
There, there is a, a dangerous, a wrong, a deadly conclusion that some can come to. The idea that if something is ordained by God, then it will come naturally, easily, and automatically. You said, do you get where I'm going at here? The idea that if, if I turn to Christ and the Bible says that those who are truly born again cannot lose being made right with God, true salvation cannot be lost. There are some who kind of come to this and be like, oh, okay, well then I guess I don't need to work at it. I'm just going to sit on my spiritual couch and give no effort to these things. And we have to understand that that is a great misunderstanding. If something is ordained by God, it does not mean that it will come naturally, easily, and automatically. It was ordained that Israel would defeat the Philistines, but it did not come easily. It came by much blood, much sweat, and many years. Those soldiers on the lines could not just drop their weapons and say something fatalistically like, ah, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I don't need to give any effort to these things. No, you're called to work and fight. It has been ordained that the Great Commission will be finished, but it comes at a high cost. It's been ordained at, at various times in history that certain Christians would eat, that God would provide for them. But they had to rummage the forest floor and dig for worms, and they did so while exhausted. When Paul was on the ship bound for Rome, and the ship was caught in that terrible storm, and all the passengers and crew were in great danger, but, and God sent an angel to Paul to tell him, your prayers have been answered, I will save every life that's on board there then came a moment, though, that some crew began to lower some boats to sneak off. And Paul said, if you do that, you will not live. Now, wait a second. I thought God said he was going to save every life. We learn more of the relationship between God's sovereignty, what he ordains, what he's doing, and the human responsibility that you and I are called to action. And likewise, when it comes to our salvation, Christian, just as strongly... Just as strongly as you believe that the elect will be brought safely to final salvation, you need to also believe what the Bible says about the necessity and the demand of perseverance. What scripture says, and I know it can get confusing. They're just not meant to understand some things from the heavenly perspective. What the scripture says is if you fall away, you are not right with God. You must know you must not give up. And Christian, if you are going to make it, it is going to cost you. It is going to come by great sacrifice. It is going to require sweat and hardship. If you are going to make it, it is going to be a fight. You cannot sit back and just say, oh, well, if I'm saved, it'll all be okay. You are going to have to fight and watch over your doctrine and, and fight for obedience. And those days that you don't feel like living for a Christian and those days you don't feel like praying and those days that you don't feel like doing the right thing for your kids and all of these and speaking up when you need to. It is a fight and there's great sweat and effort that is demanded and pleasing God. Living unto Christ must be your greatest ambition. If anything else makes its way to the greatest priority of your life and that thing that you want more than any other, you won't make it. This has got to be what you are all in on. Perseverance 
It's not automatic. And it will not come easy. And the darker the times, the more uncool you are for following Christ, the more difficult it is. Thirdly, the call to prepare for persecution. We saw in the opening passage that we read there in Hebrews 10, some things about these early Christians. Look at the text again, if you will. Look at verse 32. We see that they endured a great conflict of sufferings. Notice the plural there, sufferings. Verse 33, they were made a public spectacle. What, what does that mean? It means that they were, they were the recipients of just disgust from their family, from their neighbors. They were mocked. They were not in the cool kids club of culture. They were outcasts. They were disdained. Not only that, but even when they weren't the subject of ridicule, they stood by those who were and they became sharers in it. Verse 34, they continued this work by showing sympathy to those who were arrested for obedience to Christ. The next line there in verse 34, you accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Being a Christian in that culture cost them. Now again, I don't care what age you're living in, so long as you're in a cursed world, your faith has to cost you something, or it's not actually faith in Jesus. It has to cost you something. Fighting against the flesh is hard. Speaking up, even if all you get are snickers in response, speaking up to defend the ways of Christ, it's going to cost you something. There are orphans to be cared for, widows and neighbors to be served. It's going to cost you effort and energy. To cost you nothing, it's worthless. But when there is direct disdain to the church, the cost increases. Many of those early believers lost their homes, lost their property to confiscation because of their faith. And the text says they did so joyfully. They did so joyfully. How do you do that? How can you have your house taken from you and you be joyful about it? Because of their perspective, they saw themselves as they really are. They saw this world for what it really is. They saw the kingdom of God for the eternal place of their joy. They saw their houses and land for what it really is, temporary, and it will eventually burn. We'll come back to that. But the word that I'm giving now is that, Christian, there's preparation that needs to be pursued so that we are ready. Because if, if there were some kind of serious persecution that broke out today, many of us would be unprepared because we're used to the ease. We're, we're, we're used to how peaceful it has been. If that changes, there's preparation that is needed. So let me talk about some of that preparation. I'm going, to, I'm going to move to the application part here. Let me give six considerations. Six considerations as examples of the kinds of things that you need to think through. So, so what I'm asking here is for you to take these, these things and go further than them. And also to take the subjects we bring up and spend more time considering them. So I'm just going to introduce the kinds of things. So here is number one. Christian. You are going to need to give sober consideration to receiving disdain, social disgust. 
Jesus said some things in Matthew 10. Every word that I'm about to read here is incredibly important. So I ask you to hear it closely. Matthew 10. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. Don't fear the people who are mocking you or can even threaten to kill you. But rather fear him, God, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, there is another way to fall away. To deny the name of Christ if you are put in the moment. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. Let me read that one again. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Christian, you are going to have to prepare for being called and thought of as a fool or the newest names of being hateful. Not because you actually are hateful, okay? We are to be kind, loving, merciful, compassionate, but when we, when we find that we disagree with something of the world, when we call something a sin that the Bible says is a sin, what is the world always hurling at us? Hateful, racist, bigot, sexist, whatever new words get invented next. You're going to have to learn the secret of contentment, even while being thought of in these ways, without compromising. Number two, Christian, you need to give sober consideration to your job. You need to get yourself in a place that you are ready, that you are okay with being fired or having to leave someplace if something is violating your conscience and you just cannot compromise in this way. Now, what, what do I mean by get ready? Well, first I mean mentally. First I mean mentally, think it through. Think, think it through of how you will respond to your boss if certain things are given to you that, that you, you will say to your boss, look, I will work far, hard for you. I will do a good job. I will be honest, but I cannot do this thing that you are demanding of me. Or what is the place where um, you, would, you would feel that you have to leave because it's violating your conscience? But Christian, just very practically, this also means there's wisdom in getting yourself in a financial place that it's okay if you're fired and you can walk away from a job. Excessive debt and excessive spending is always a bad idea. It's worse of an idea in times of difficulty against the people of God. Proverbs says the borrower is slave to the lender. It straps you, but big debt and big spending creates big problems if you need to live your job. So does a, a lifestyle that just needs lots of money. Listen, Christians throughout history have had to address this one right here. You would be surprised how many times go reading our biblical, our, excuse me, our Christian heroes, not the biblical heroes, but church history heroes down through the centuries who have struggled in persecution. This comes up over and over again. 
Christians have had to learn to reduce their standard of living because they may not be able to get the, the high paying jobs that the others around them are getting passed over for promotions and such if the world just despises Christians. Christian, what happens if the day comes that your children or your grandchildren, if we're talking decades into the future, can't get the respectable jobs and the well-paying jobs because the world hates the ways of Christ. What counsel will you give them? If it is anything other than stand for Christ, then it is a compromise to love money more than to love Christ. Number three, Christian parents, be ready to do what is best for your children, whatever the cost, and in all areas. But, but let me, as an example, bring up, for instance, in their education. Now, already where we are right now, many Christian parents see these things in different ways and come to different conclusions. They have their conscience. There's latitude here. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you got to do everything just like this. There are godly parents who raise their children in a godly way. And they send their kids to public school, some homeschool, some do uh, Christian schools or co-ops, whatever else. There's not just one magic bullet in this. Some have already concluded that there is enough ungodly influence in public schools right now that they say, I cannot send my kid there. And they've chosen to homeschool. We respect that. There are others who say, well, I'm going to keep a close watch on things. I'm going to ask lots of questions and have lots of conversations, but in our small town, I just don't see the destructive things happening here that are happening in others. When it comes to a Christian school, I wish we had a local option here. Maybe God's calling one of you to make this your life endeavor. But here's what I want to caution you in, Christian parent. Think long and deeply on the subject. Use biblical wisdom Watch your child's heart. I'm of the opinion that what you do could be different child to child, not just family to family in certain temptations of individual children. Watch your child's heart. Ask lots of questions. Have daily conversations. Are you hearing these words in your classroom? But let me caution you in this. Christian, don't do what you do out of social pressure. In other words... If you come to the conclusion that you think there's some dangerous stuff going on, maybe just in this child because of this teacher that they have, and you want to homeschool them, don't not do it because what would the neighbors think? Or people would think I'm crazy. Also, do not do what you do because of monetary excuses. If you conclude that homeschool or something else would be the best option. Do not say to yourself, well, I can't do that because, well, you know, these days my wife and I both have to work just to make it these days. Don't say nonsense. Don't say nonsense. You do what it takes. If that is sell your house and reduce your standard of living, if that is drive rusty old cars, you do what is best for your children in order to honor Christ. If they are in public school and you think the day comes when it is too destructive to send them, have the guts and the grit to do what needs to be done. Number four, Christian, give sober consideration to death and martyrdom. Now, I say that not because I foresee this in the immediate horizon. 
But Jesus calls us to prepare for death even when we're living in days of peace. You know why? Because you're going to die. Jesus calls us to prepare for martyrdom even if you're living in the godliest place on the planet. Because being prepared in our hearts to die for Christ, to confess him unto death, makes you ready to live. Live unto him in a cursed world. We have far less trouble raising our hand to confess Christ in a classroom if we're willing to confess him at the gallows. We have far less difficulty speaking up to defend the scriptures at work. If you, are if you are prepared to defend the name of Christ before Caesar, to say that Jesus is Lord and not him. Christians spend time thinking on these things. Understand, doing what honors God will never be for your harm. You have to believe that down to the bottom of your soul, into your bones. I heard John Piper say that this week in a sermon preaching against abortion, doing what is right will never ruin your life. Listen, doing what honors God, you know, because we have all those temptations and all those excuses. I mean, it happens even today. Well, I can't do this because that would hurt my financial future. And surely God wouldn't want that. Doing what honors God will never wreck your life. It might get you killed but it will never wreck your life. Do I think you're going to die a martyr's death? No, I don't think so. But preparation to die a martyr's death will make you ready to live unto God. Number five, Christian, you need to give sober consideration concerning when to stay and when to leave. Now, what I mean in this one is that it can apply in many different areas. When do you leave a job? When do you leave a school? When do you leave a, a club, a group, whatever, or as drastic as it might sound, when do you move away from a community? Did you know that our nation is seeing right now one of, I'll say it safely because I, I can't find the numbers, one of the greatest migrations of citizens since the Civil War? And this is happening from a couple different ways. One of it is happening is that many are uh, moving away, fleeing leftist run cities as they are collapsing. And then there is a Christian migration that is happening in our nation. Christians are moving away from some of these states that are attacking, chipping away at their religious liberties. They're moving away from Colorado where there is the Christian Baker and that, that government there is intent on destroying him. They're moving away from Illinois. Well, we all know they're moving away from California. That was obvious. But they're moving away from some of these places and they're moving to places where there is not the deliberate tack on Christian liberty. They're moving to places like Indiana, by the way. So when do you leave? When do you stay? Do you flee? Do you fight? When do we do these things? There is need to give consideration on these. Let me commend to you somebody to help you. Our old buddy, John Bunyan. John Bunyan, the guy that wrote Pilgrim's Progress, and I've told you more than you ever want to know about him because I love the guy. In prison for uh, uh, nine years for preaching the gospel, in enduring uh, great difficulty, he wrote another book called Advice for Sufferers. Advice for Sufferers. He had authority to speak on the subject. In one of the sections, he gives a consideration to the question to, to flee or to stay. This is something he deliberated in in his own heart. And he points out in the Bible that there's not just one way to respond to persecution. 
Christians have uh, at times come up with creative different things to do, to, to stay or to flee or to find a way to remain faithful, to not dishonor Christ and yet to act in some different ways. So he points out some places in the Bible where sometimes people fled persecution and sometimes they stood their ground and fought. In Exodus 2, Moses fled. In Hebrews 11, Moses stood. In Jeremiah 37, Jeremiah fled. In Jeremiah 38, he stood. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul fled persecution. In Acts 20, Paul stood. In Luke 9, Jesus withdrew from the crowd. Do you remember that occasion when they wanted to push him over the cliff because he said things they didn't like? Okay. Jesus withdrew from the crowds because his hour to die had not yet come. But obviously in the end of his trial, he stood, meaning there's not just one thing to do. Sometimes there are multiple ways to honor God. You know, John Bunyan had to give consideration to these things. Bunyan could have, uh, he could have gotten himself out of prison because he was, he was given the opportunity over and over again to leave prison if he would just stop preaching the gospel and say that he would. He could have gotten out of prison and entered the underground church movement. Believers down through the centuries have done that kind of work. The, the Bible, by the way, um, shows us that kind of stuff is legitimate. Okay, the Bible tackles difficult and complex ethical situations like, like David uh, deceiving the Philistines and such. Okay? And so uh, believers through the centuries have entered into the underground church movement. Bunyan could have gotten out of prison, taken his family and moved to Switzerland where there was religious liberty. Bunyan, love the guy, chose to stay and fight. Bunyan chose to stay in imprisonment. And here we are 400 years still talking about him talking about the very public way that he stood and said, I will not dishonor Christ. Give consideration, Christian, to various uh, thinking like this. Christians throughout the centuries have found creative ways to keep working, creative ways to stay in a post and not dishonor God. So let's say your company begins to enforce certain kinds of trainings. You know, sometimes they'll call it diversity training. And sometimes that's code word for we're going to shove unbiblical policies down your throat, whether you like it or not. And so maybe there's someone who has, you know, some radicalized form of this. It happens and they say, I, I just can't stay in a place like this. I'm not going to stay in a place that mistreats their employees like this and is so, uh, so hateful towards Christians. And so they leave. There might be another Christian who says, I'll watch a dumb video I don't agree with. Uh, so long as I don't have to sign anything or do anything that dishonors Christ, I'll watch the video, and if it tells me to treat people with respect, I was going to do that anyway because I'm a Christian. Give consideration. And then number six, lastly, Christian, give sober consideration to your eternal state. Verse 34, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Christian, this city is not your home. You are looking for the city whose foundations were laid by God. One more piece of wisdom from advice for sufferers that Bunyan gives us. I think it's part of what made John Bunyan, John Bunyan. He said this, hast thou escaped? Laugh. Art thou taken? Laugh. I mean, be pleased whichever way so things shall go for that the scales are still in God's 
hands. One of the things that made Bunyan so resilient, why he could keep choosing to remain in imprisonment, even though it cost his family so much, is that he saw eternity rightly. He saw himself in light of eternity. He thought, eternity is forever. This is a long, long time, but I'm only here for a brief vapor. So my brief vapor has great hardship. I will laugh. I have the kingdom. My God is going to make all things joy. It is not tragedy that I have hardship. I will laugh. My sovereign God can deliver me any day he wants to. Even if he does not, I will honor him. So laugh. Christian, God has given you hope that is big enough to laugh. Laugh in the face of torment. Laugh in the face of suffering. Laugh in the face of persecution. Christian, we need to, to, to endure persecution well. We have to see ourselves as we really are. You are above this. You are sons and daughters of the kingdom. You are sons and daughters of the living God. He has prepared a kingdom for you. You will be rewarded. One of my favorite lines from all of the Bible is from Psalm 2, where it talks about uh, the nations join together. They plot in vain. The nations rage. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. He laughs. Christian, laugh with him. When the kings of the earth torment you, laugh knowing that you have the kingdom of God. You are going to need to develop an understanding of who you are in terms of eternity. See this life for what it is. It is brief. See your possessions for what they are. They're fuel for the fire in the end. See your job for what it is. It's an opportunity to glorify God. If it gets in my way, I will leave. See yourself for who you really are and who you really are is who you are in light of eternity. And when the kings of the earth torment you, laugh, laugh. I am not suggesting that it is easy. I'm not trying to speak as a way as though I've mastered this, but I am telling you what the Bible says. Christian, I exhort you, and I'm winding down here. You've been patient. Christian, I exhort you. Turn off the media that is threatening to seduce you. Christian, if you have not already Order your life to include the personal worship and the family worship that scripture shows should be in place. Christian, ask and seek and knock for grace to persevere. Christian, frequently recommit yourself. Frequently decide that you will obey the Lord. Obeying God will never wreck your life. Might get you fired, might get you beaten, might get you killed but not a hair of your head will perish. And to you, if you are not following Christ, either you've never turned to him for the first time to be saved or for whatever reason, just right now, you've been ignoring him, not walking with him. I, I, I want to ask you the question, if you would consider why, why are you not? I think that if you identified whatever that reason is, it would cast a lot of doubt on your doubt. Are, are you not following him because the pleasures of the world are too seductive? Consider eternity that you will stand before God and then he will send you wherever you are going. Are you not following Christ because you're believing what everybody else around you says that just assumes everybody's fine, everything's okay and you don't need anything? God has spoken from heaven. 
to tell you something very different. You must be saved. God says, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is no other. Scripture is crystal clear. Unless you receive the Lord Jesus, you are not right with him. Turn. There really is a date of judgment to come. Your sins really are crimes against the law of God. And your crimes really will be punished. You really are facing hell unless you are made right with God through Christ. Turn to Christ and believe. If anybody wants help with that, talk it through. Find me before you leave and ask some questions. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for your mercy to us. And we ask in light of what we've considered, I pray for this church. I ask God that you will build us up. I ask God that you will give us grace so that we will be strengthened, so that we will be prepared. Bless our thinking and our hearts to be in a place that is ready and, and already determined to obey you. Help us, God. Please give us your blessing as we leave. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's Word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.